Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Boom. 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 Welcome to Student Voices, a series from the Biomechanics on Our Minds podcast. My name is Brittany Summers, and I'm a PhD student at Cleveland State University. In this episode, you'll hear from students in both the beginning and later stages of their PhD, as well as graduate faculty advisors. We'll be discussing what it means to be a graduate student, the importance of choosing the right advisor, and more. Stay tuned and enjoy the episode. All right, so we are going to start our first panel with Derek and Will, who are both fifth year PhDs, and I'm going to hand it over to them to do a little introduction about themselves. So my name is Will Zaylor. I'm a fifth year PhD student. My research, um, I use inverse modeling to estimate knee ligament properties, and I'm looking to go into academia after I graduate. Hey guys, I'm Derek Wolf. I'm also a fifth year PhD student at Cleveland State. I do research on functional electrical stimulation for restoring reaching motions to individuals with tetraplegia. After school, I also think I'd like to go into academia, but I'm kind of open to all options at this point. Great. So Derek and Will are going to talk about things that you would encounter later on in the PhD program, such as dissertation committees, candidacy, and staying on track. So we'll go ahead and get started. So my first question is, what advice do you have on selecting a dissertation committee? I think some of it would just be you would select a faculty that you're familiar with and that you know for some of the members. But aside from the general advice that you'd probably already know, you may consider um, selecting a uh, an outside PI. So, for instance, if you're interested in going into academia, you could select a uh, PI from a an institution that you're interested in going to after you graduate, and that could help you get a foot in the door later on. Yeah, I think that last part's great advice. I did the same thing. I've got an outside PI, which hopes that maybe that can introduce me to more people outside the you know the professors I work with every day here. And I think you also want professors who are going to push you and yeah. make your work better, who have a different perspective than your normal people you who advise you. Yeah, like a uh, faculty would be more adjacent to your research area. If you select someone who has a uh, work that's very different from your own, then they might, may not be able to offer, you know, as good of input as someone that knows more about your area and can really put you to task. Great. So what advice do you have on preparing a research proposal for candidacy? and just preparing for the candidacy presentation in general? One of the issues I kind of had making my proposal is um, having too much repetition, but then one thing you have in mind, have to keep in mind is your committee isn't going to read every word of that document. And so it's actually good to have some repetition and kind of repeat some general things from your uh, document. And that one helps you kind of get the language down on it. And two, it just keeps maybe some of the main points in mind for the people who are actually reading it. Derek, anything to add? I mean, I think those are good points. I think for writing mine, it helped. I had a conference paper already written, you know, that already did a lot of the literature search. So like use what you've written in the past and use it to expand and it should point you right to your candidacy and help you out a lot. Yeah, I agree with that. And if you do have previous publications too, it does kind of help in your favor to show that people outside your committee have actually reviewed the work and have, uh, you know, accepted it. So if you have a journal article, definitely that'd probably be part of your proposal and that could help you build your framework around that to expand it out. And then you can use the feedback that you've gotten from the process of submitting that journal article to know what to help tailor in your proposal as well. Yeah, that just helps you really refine your language and then make everything clear and concise. So what advice do you have on writing a dissertation and maintaining on track with that whole process? So the number one piece of advice that I've been given and believe in is write every day. If you set a goal of, you know, there's different people talk about it different ways. Is it 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, or I heard it one crappy page a day. Like it's not always like the 
quality you put out. You don't have to put out the best paper every day. But if you set a easy to achieve goal of I write every day, then eventually you have your dissertation or, or you have a paper you're submitting or you have whatever you're trying to write. And I think that's really helpful. So like what we do in our lab is we actually have a competition of how many days you write for 30 minutes. And it's just a friendly competition. But it's saying, are you writing every day? Our goal is five days a week, but really, you know, you could even do seven days a week and just say, I put in 30 minutes and I, even if I don't have the best writing session, I write. And, and that habit just builds up. Yeah, I want to kind of tag along with that. I've actually, Derek and I are in the same lab. And so I've started participating in that competition too. And one way I look at it is it's like exercise. If you don't lift weights every day and then your muscles aren't going to get larger and just when you're exercising, you don't have to lift the most weight, but it's better than doing nothing. For writing, I think that just helps you, in a general term, find your voice and then also get down some of the language for the ideas for your work. And it just helps you articulate those things better. And you only articulate them better through practice. And the other thing, too, that people get stuck with is they say, I don't have results yet. I can't write or I don't know what to write. You can essentially write an entire journal paper before you do a single experiment. And you know what your intro should be. You know what your method should be. Honestly, you know what your results, you hope they are and you think they should be. And then you can basically at least have good outlines on all of that. I mean, your intro and methods, you should be able to write. And yeah, you may have to go back and tweak it. But that really helps guide your experiments. And your experiments make your writing better. Your writing makes your experiments better. And it just builds to a better product in the end. Yeah, and I agree with you don't need the actual results to actually start writing even the results section. You're not going to know exactly what the values will be, but you're, you're, it'll give you an idea of what plots you want to make. And then during your you know, 30-minute writing session, you could make those plots and just have some dummy data to hold act as a placeholder. And that will guide the um, flow of your results section since if you're using the plots or the tables to speak to your results or to present them. And really guides the flow of the whole paper because your intro should point to what your results you think they're going to be and and like why you did it. So yeah, since your results should support your intro. Absolutely. Well, I think that's awesome advice. So let's talk a little bit about coursework and research. I think that's a big thing that graduate students have to adjust to is now you're not only an undergrad, you're not only going to class and to lab and then, you know, going and doing whatever else you you really have a commitment here and you have to show up and you have to work and do your research, but there's a balance there. So what advice can you guys offer on balancing coursework and research? So off the bat, I think you need to schedule time to do your coursework. On the days you don't have classes, maybe you scheduled at the same time, maybe you don't, whatever works for you. But if you schedule time, so you say in these two hours, I work on my coursework. I think you get things done in those two hours. If you leave it open-ended, you'll allow your coursework to fill at whatever amount of time you give it. And then you'll get behind on research. And I mean, your coursework's important. You should work hard to do it, but you also don't want to get behind on your research and then you don't get anything done there. So to me, if you schedule the time, you'll get what you need done inside the time. And like, maybe you got to expand it on exam weeks or if there's a paper due. But in general, I think that's the, process that works yeah i'd say maybe i'm more of a cautionary tale of the work expanding to fit the time i give it i guess one of the things i found for coursework was um you know if you're a grad student i was here more so to do research and then the coursework would kind of you know i would schedule time to do that and get it done the one more useful piece of advice it's grad school and so the professors usually give you a little bit of slack and the goal of the assignment is for you to learn and understand it turning it in on time isn't the was never, you know, the biggest priority for me and the professor. If I asked before it was due to turn it in later, they never, never give me an issue with that, you know, for homework or something like that. I mean, other things have a hard due date, but that's just part of being an adult and managing your time. Yeah. And I think that's all true. I mean, I'm only in my second year, so I'm not quite as heavy into research as the two as you would be yet. But I think it's tricky finding how to balance, you know, the work that you are here to do. And coursework is important because, you know, you have to maintain a good GPA and you want to stay on top of things. And it is a balance. But I think in grad school, too, a lot of your courses are more you choose what interests you and what's going to apply to your research. And so 
you do usually have to take things outside of your discipline, but I guess also don't take something that's so wildly crazy that you will have no idea what's going on, or it's really going to put you behind if you want to take that course and also still do your research. So take practical classes and take classes that are going to help you with your research and with the things that you're you're doing right now. Yeah. And to kind of add on to that, a lot of the classes that I've taken have had projects and those have been a good opportunity to do coursework and also lump in some research with that where the project may not be directly what you're doing for your research, but then the kind of framework that you set up to do the project can also translate into your research work. And I mean, I do think maybe a slight counter to what Brittany just said. I think what you said is right, but if you go a little outside your normal coursework, I think it can really help expand your research too. So you're right. Like, don't go too far where <laughs> you're so far outside your bounds that that's going to take so much amount of your effort and time to do the work. But if you can get just a little outside, maybe with a new group of professors or something like that, now you have new insight into your work. You know, I, was, I got to take a statistics class here from a from math department. So I didn't know anyone there. And they really helped my work in the engineering department. You know, I just didn't have those insights. So there's a balance there of push yourself a little bit to the edge. Certainly don't go too far where it's going to harm your time. And yeah. And I think this is something Derek and I were talking about a little earlier also. So we're all in the mechanical engineering department and we work for the Center for Human Machine Systems. So we all do mechanical engineering in some way, but it's applied to humans, right? And so Derek was saying how he had taken an anatomy class and I'm taking a neurobiology class right now. And those are definitely outside of what we do, but they're outside in a way that they're helpful for research. And I think that's kind of what you were just saying as well, Derek. And I also, I mean, back to the dissertation committee, I got one of my committee members from the anatomy course. And so like she brings a totally different perspective to what we do and has really challenged some of the thoughts that we've put out there that when I started here, like we just accepted and she's kind of told us we're wrong. And that's that's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the balance of feeling like a student, but also feeling like a research colleague in terms of your faculty advisor and just other faculty in the department, because we are still students, but also there's a higher level of professionalism to what we do now. So maybe just some personal experience or do you do you not feel like you've kind of mastered that balance yet? or? I guess uh, there is definitely a point like in your career when you start off as a, your advisor is kind of more an instructor or a teacher, and then they're kind of telling you how to do things. And then I guess as time goes on, and as you take more and more ownership of your work, you'll just generally find that interactions with your advisor will be more discussions. And then you'll present things where, say, you could define some kind of, say, the next research area or like a, an offshoot of the work that would be kind of good for the field. So as you start to take more and more ownership of the work, I think it'll become more of a, your advisor will be more of a, you'll be more of a colleague than a student, I guess. Yeah, there's an interesting day when you're, at least for me, when your advisor starts sending you papers of his and going, hey, what do you think of this intro? That's a totally different relationship all of a sudden. I don't know. That, that's kind of the, oh, we're not equals, but we're colleagues. We're not, you know, you're not running my life or anything. And honestly, I think when you're picking a grad school or when you're working or your advisor, like you want an advisor that's going to step back and make you take over. And I, I think I, for myself, I need to do better at owning my own work and trying to come forward and becoming that like you know, fifth year PhD student who owns the next steps and everything. And I think luckily I've had an advisor who's really pushed me to do that. And he wants me to to come up with my own ideas and own the research. But if your advisor's not doing that, you really need to force your way there. And I, I mean, by year three or four, especially, you need to be owning your work. Yeah, I agree with that. And for my master's, uh, my advisor had said, you know, as a general thing, it's you can't graduate until you prove him wrong on something where it's just, you know, it becomes more of a discussion and just, you know, considering each other's ideas. Yeah. There's also the uh, the turning point of when professors start introducing themselves to you by their first name. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the <laughs> like, big turning point when it's no longer, you know, doctor, whoever, yeah. it's it's go by the first name. Yeah, that's that's an interesting day, right? And And the funny thing is, I think, your first two years of grad school, they're still your teachers, they're still your professors, they're doctors, so-and-so. And then we've had a couple new professors come in in the past two years, and when they introduced themselves, it was by first name. And I was 
kind of taken aback and didn't know, didn't know what I was supposed to call them. That's been interesting to have these people I really respect introduce themselves on an equal footing. So I want to close with the most important piece of advice that you can offer about being a successful graduate student. At least the way I treat it would be treated like a job where it's just come in like at nine and leave at five. Even if you don't find something to fill all the hours in a day, um, you just have to treat it like a job because it's that's what it is for me. And that's just helped me keep things on track and get things moving. And I think if you do that, you don't end up taking all your work home. You, you know, you have that balance that you're hoping to have. Whereas if you don't, like I said earlier, you let it expand into every part of your life. Because I totally agree. That would be my most important advice, too, is it's a job. Treat like such. Give yourself hours and hold those hours. Even give yourself a dress code. If that helps you get in a work mode, do it. I mean, if that doesn't matter to you, fine. But like, make it a job and do whatever it works for you. Yeah, like for instance, I can probably do a lot of my work from home. I do computational biomechanics. And so I can have a computer with me wherever I want. But I've just found I can't do work at home. And so it's I come into the lab every day just since there's that separation. And then I go home and I can keep the wheels from falling off there for whatever chores need to be done. Yeah, just kind of treating it like a job like that. I guess the only other piece of advice as I'm thinking about that I would have that I think is important is to be your own advocate and own your experience. You need to have a great relationship with your advisor. Your advisor is so critical to your experience, but you need to push your advisor to give you what you need. I'm not talking about, I mean, yes, uh, computers, things like that, that's important. But what you need to succeed as a grad student, you know, from what feedback does he need to give you? What questions do you have? Like, you have to advocate for yourself because, like we talked earlier, you're a professional now. This is your job. Treat it as such and advocate for yourself to be successful so that you and your advisor are working together to get you where you want to be. And I think building off of that, just be honest with your advisor. If you kind of get in a rut or if you're not exactly sure where you're going in the direction with your research anymore, or if it's kind of going in a direction that you maybe aren't as comfortable with because you're not as familiar with it. I mean, just be honest and keep that open, you know, flow of conversation going with them. So that way you can stay on track and you can find something that's obviously going to be passionate for you, but it's also something that they can help you with and they can help get you the resources that you need. All right. So I think if you guys don't have anything else to add for that, I think we'll go ahead and end this session. Uh, yeah, thank you. All right. Yeah, thanks. thanks, guys. Jack Cameron and Dana are PhD and master's students who are going to talk about choosing graduate programs, looking for faculty advisors, and more. I'm going to turn it over to them to give a quick introduction about their research and where they are in their program. Hey everyone, my name's Jack Schultz. I'm a second year PhD student right now. A little description of my research. I work with individuals who are paralyzed from the neck down and what our lab tries to do is to help them regain functionality in their upper extremities. We usually do this through functional electrical stimulation. So some of these individuals have a surgery where they have electrodes implanted in their muscles, and we can stimulate these electrodes to help them move their muscles. And I kind of work from the other side of things in determining user intention. One way we try to do this is through eye tracking. So the overall idea is to have the user look at a target and eventually be able to move their limbs to that target. And then I am Cameron Lamack. I'm a first year PhD student and I'm in the same lab as Jack. And my side of things right now is more or less just making the system more user friendly, able to adapt to the dynamic use that it's supposed to have in the home, making it more just better, I guess. All right, so I'm Dana, Dana Lorenz, and I am a second year master's student. I work in a different lab than Jack and Cameron. I work in the human motion control lab, and my research is around the modulation of reflexes during perturbed walking and trying to determine if the reflexes are caused by the change in muscle length or the force applied to the muscles. And post-graduation, I'm actually kind of hoping to get my PhD and then go into academia. What factors helped you decide on the graduate program that you're in now, and what should prospective students look for when searching for graduate programs? 
one of the first things I looked for, I kind of took an, I guess, uninformed approach to applying for graduate schools. I just like, I had two things I was interested in and I just applied everywhere. I didn't really have necessarily a research interest that I was like gunning for and something. And so it was kind of just my luck that I found Dr. Shearer, who's my professor right now. So I don't know if that would be necessarily good or bad, just because I think having broad interest is good, but also like it makes applying hard and it makes it, you know, I'm only two months in, but like on this side of things, it makes things harder from a professor's side of like whether or not they want to just say like, oh, I'm passionate about this subject. So when I was looking, I knew I wanted to come to Cleveland State already because I did an REU internship program here two years before I started. And then when I applied and got accepted, Dr. Vanden Bogert, who is my thesis advisor, offered right up front to be my advisor since he already worked with me while I was an intern during my undergraduate time. And kind of going off that, I think there are a lot of institutions that have REU programs or undergraduate research programs. And kind of similarly, I didn't actually end up doing an REU program, but I applied for a few of them. And even if you don't happen to get one of these positions when you're an undergraduate, it helps you to get your name out there and potential advisors could remember you from their applicant pool and potentially reach out to you later. So I think it's always a good idea to to apply for those kind of things, even if you don't end up getting them at the time. Yeah. I should add that that's how my advisor found me. So I applied for an RU at Cleveland State and I didn't get it, but then he was looking for doctoral students and you know I was interested. Yeah. And Cam, I had kind of a different experience in what you did. I had a pretty specific research interest. And so when I was looking for programs, I was specifically looking for programs doing research in those areas. So, I mean, these are four good examples of how there's no necessarily one right way to search, you just kind of have to search around what's what's best for you and your research interests, however broad or specific they might be. So that's going to lead us into our next question on what factors helped you decide on your faculty advisor, or essentially what were you looking for in a faculty advisor, and what should prospective students look for? I think one of the very important things that you might not think of right away is you have to really be able to get along with your advisor. I mean, especially for PhD students, you're going to be working with this person for five years, essentially. And going into it, maybe you don't think of yourselves as colleagues, but I think my advice would be to go into it thinking of yourself as a colleague with your advisor and hopefully friends also. I think you definitely need to be able to get along with them. And that that makes research that much more enjoyable. I think that's a huge part of it. You know, you really are working with them every day and then also making sure that you are actually doing something that you're interested in. I think sometimes it's easy to see a lab that's doing really cool and innovating research and you want to be a part of it, but you have to make sure that your interests fit with what that faculty member and with what students in their lab are doing also. Yeah, definitely. Kind of harping on both those things. It's like, Especially, you know, if you're a PhD student, you're going to be spending five years of your life with these people and doing this research. So you just want to make sure, you know, that you click and you're willing to, you know, work productively in this environment on this project under this advisor for, you know, five years. Yeah. And even from a master's student's perspective, you still want to have, if you're doing a thesis track, you want to make sure your advisor is someone you'll be able to work with and collaborate on your projects with and be comfortable talking to them if you're struggling with something that's going on in your research because I've had a few times where I've like had some issues and if I was uncomfortable talking to my advisor it would make my research a whole lot harder so being comfortable talking with them and even the people in your lab being comfortable around them and enjoying working with them is a big part of picking a lab and that's part of the reason I knew I wanted to apply to Cleveland State for a graduate program because I knew I was going to like the people that were in my area of interests. What advice do you have on balancing coursework with your research? Well, personally with me, I've tried to pick classes that will relate directly to my research. And then if there's a project in that class, looping it back into my thesis so that I can kind of double dip with my work that I'm doing so I can apply the stuff I did in class to directly just take it from my project or paper I wrote and apply it to my thesis. 
I did that last semester with two of my classes and I basically wrote the introduction of my chapter while doing assignments for other classes. Yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of, like you said, double dip. And I found that so far in my classes that I found a huge overlap in some of the classes I've taken. As far as balancing coursework and research, I think just me personally, I have a tendency to prioritize coursework. So if I don't have things scheduled out, I tend to just spend most of my time on coursework. And uh, I think it's a good idea to really schedule your time so you don't you don't end up letting your research fall by the wayside, especially in your early years of your PhD or master's program. For me, coursework is just because it's more structured and more, I guess, kind of mechanical in terms of just the way it works. It's it's a break for me, actually. So like, I'll just, you know, do a problem set when I'm tired of reading papers. This was kind of touched on previously, but that transition from being a student to a colleague I think it's something that all graduate students experience, but can you guys offer any advice on just having a more natural relationship with your advisor, kind of making that transition from being an undergraduate or even a master's student, maybe into a PhD program or, you know, an undergraduate into one of those two programs? I think maybe one thing that I've had to learn is that you need to start being somebody that has some answers graduate school is a lot more independent than undergraduate. And, you know, you have to be a lot more organized, I've found. And it's interesting because, you know, sometimes you talk to your advisor and your advisor doesn't have all the answers. I mean, you're working on things that nobody knows out in the scientific community. So you're working together towards a common goal rather than most of the time in undergraduate, you're presented a problem and there's a solution and you need to find the solution that whoever's presented the problem to you already knows. It's a completely different dynamic and something that I think takes getting used to. But yeah, I think communication is key in that regard, that you just need to be upfront with your advisor and make sure that you can talk through any problem that you have, kind of go into it knowing that you're going to be working together on these things. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Yeah, since I have to agree with Jack, just being comfortable talking to them and knowing that they're kind of doing the same type of research with you. It's not like they already know all the answers. Where you guys are at right now in your program, what's the most important piece of advice that you could give about being a successful graduate student? Time management. Just being able to have that balance between your research and your coursework and not letting one thing overwhelm the other or if there's any other outside factors like extra jobs or anything you're doing just being able to balance all of that because that's something personally i know i've struggled with a little bit i don't know about you guys the most important piece of advice that i received is just kind of the the phrase that the it's a marathon and not a sprint just because it's like you know i'm looking down this huge projects and it's like oh it's you know it's a multi-year thing it's not like one course as it was back in or like a one semester course back in undergrad and just kind of like taking the knowledge. It's like, you know, you're, you're going to work through it, but you know, it's going to take some time. Yeah. I have a couple things. One, I agree with Cameron that it's tough not to get overwhelmed in the beginning when uh, your advisor presents you with the overall objective of the lab and you have no idea what words just came out of his or her mouth. Yeah. It's going to take a while to get up to speed on a lot of things and You just have to remember not to be overwhelmed by that at the start and that, yeah, like Cam said, you'll get there and you should have plenty of support from your advisor and hopefully others in your lab. Another piece of advice I have on being a successful graduate student, I'd say it's easy to fall into the trap of comparing your research to other people's projects, whether that be papers that you've read or other people in your lab. And I think you just have to remember that everybody's research is different and everybody's project has value, you kind of get out what you put into it and kind of your success is what you make of it. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I've got on that point. Yeah, I wanna add, I think sometimes when you're working on something with you know your own research or your own courses, it's really easy to just know what you need to do now or next to get you through the PhD program, You know whether it's your qualifier or getting ready for candidacy. But remember that, you know, your PhD is really setting you up, too, for what you're going to do next. So I think that the more opportunity you have to get yourself out there, whether that's 
collaborating with someone else in your department who maybe needs help with something that you might have a little more expertise on or going to conferences, whether it's something local or, you know, national, whatever chance you have to network and collaborate with people in the field, I think is something that will, it'll honestly help you during your program as well, because now you've established these relationships where it may be, you know, a back and forth thing. They may have some more expertise on something that you're struggling with in your research and vice versa. And then you've also set up those connections for once you're finished with your program. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. All right. So if there's no other comments to add, I think we'll go ahead and end that there. But thank you guys so much for being on and giving us your input. Yeah, thank you. Boom would like to thank Sanford Health for their support in the making of the Student Voices series. Sanford Health is one of the nation's largest health systems offering integrated care, genomic medicine, senior care and services, research, and affordable insurance. Sanford Health also offers students both clinical and non-clinical internship experiences throughout the year, as well as graduate student training through a partnership with the University of South Dakota Department of Biomedical Engineering. These student opportunities include biomechanics internships through the Sanford Sports Science Institute and Sanford Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and Fargo, North Dakota, and provide mentorship, professional development, and growth opportunities, including gaining real-world experience and building useful skills to prepare you for the future. And if you want to learn more about student opportunities at Sanford Health, you can visit sanfordhealth.jobs. That's S-A-N-F-O-R-D, health.jobs. Dr. Anthony Vandenboker and Dr. Eric Shear are here to answer questions about the faculty-graduate-student relationship, what they look for in graduate students, and some other questions as well. Could you each give us a background about how long you've been teaching and advising students and the general research focus of your lab? Let me start. Uh, I'm Ton van den Bogert. My academic background is, is quite diverse. I have an undergraduate degree in physics, did my PhD with two advisors, one in anatomy and one in mechanical engineering. And I've worked in academic departments ranging from kinesiology, biomedical engineering to mechanical engineering. I've been advising and teaching for about 25 years. And my general research area is, is human motion dynamics, kinematics, and control of human motion. Great. So I'm Eric Shearer. I'm trained as a roboticist, as both in grad school and, and even further along. I've been training students for a little over five years, and my research is focused on using functional electrical stimulation to restore reaching and grasping movements to people with, uh, with paralyzed arms. Great. So I want to start off by asking you some questions about what qualities you look for in graduate students when you're considering them for your lab, and then also what qualities in a student would make you hesitant to accept them into your lab. So the qualities that I look for in in a graduate student, there are many. Um, They have to be academically strong. They have to be motivated. They should have good communication skills and demonstrate that they can work independently. So that's especially important for a PhD student because they will break new ground, they will get stuck, and they have to be able to work independently, not depend too much on the advisor to get them unstuck, especially in the later stages of their program. So they have to have that quality. Great. So I'll just, I'll just add on to that a little bit. I think uh, intellectual curiosity is really important. I want students to not be afraid of, of learning something from a new field, especially if we're talking about biomechanics. There's so many other things that are related to that. So, you know, it might be anatomy and physiology. It might be electronics. It might be computing. You know, it might be design of, of mechanical elements. And what I want is a student that almost certainly doesn't know all those things, but is really excited to learn whatever they can about a bunch of different areas. The other thing that I think really is important, so Tan said this about communication. So being able to to write and speak is really important. And it's something that takes a lot of time to to hone. So if someone isn't good at those things to start with, that's something that will take an advisor a ton of time to get them up to speed, even more so than, let's say, you know, 
not being good in a certain area of math. And how about qualities that make you hesitant? Well, it would be kind of the, the opposite of those things that we look for <laughs> if they're missing too many of those. So if they haven't done research, if they haven't demonstrated they can write a paper and, and that sort of thing, then you would really have to take a very good look to, to find out if they actually have the potential to do those things. Yeah, so one thing that really turns me off is, is when you get inquiries from students and it's it's poorly written, you know, there's not the attention to detail, you know, they spell your name wrong, they don't use good grammar. I, I mean, that's that's just a starter. <laughs> that's the communication, yeah. that's the first yeah. thing you notice is the communication and if that's not good, then you, yeah, you don't want to look at them anymore. Do you think that having a face-to-face -face interview or meeting with a potential graduate student is beneficial versus just getting a bunch of applications or inquiries over email? Is that something that can set a student apart? I would definitely, if I consider someone, always do a Skype interview. Personality is really important. It has to be a good fit. And you don't really get that from written communication. So you, you really have to talk to them. Yeah, same, same here. I, I don't uh, invite anyone to my lab if I haven't talked to them first. Okay. And then after a graduate student joins your lab, what are your expectations for them? Dr. Vandenberger, when I first started here, I was able to sit in with him in his lab on their meetings. And Dr. Shearer, I've seen you and in, in your students and just kind of how you organize. So I guess what I'm really looking for is how do you structure lab meetings? You both have kind of touched on communication. Basically, just how do you help your students stay on track and vice versa? Kind of what do you expect from them once they join your lab? Yeah, so this is, this is kind of how I do it. I have weekly lab meetings for everybody. Now, with a new student, I think it's important that they get some uh, experience under their belt pretty quickly and some confidence that they can do it. So I give them a project that I've thought about that you know, they don't have to figure out what to do. There is a project that I think you know, if they execute it well, they can publish it. And then after a year, ideally, they have a paper published and they have gained that confidence. They've gained some laboratory skills. And... In the meantime, they can, they can build up towards figuring out their own research proposal, which they have to do much more independently. But I get them started on a project that I've basically defined for them. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's a veteran move. <laughs> um, let's see, what do I do in organization? So I, two things, really, that I will check on every week. One is I have them do a writing log. So... Our goal in our lab is to have everyone write for 30 minutes every day. And that's really hard at the start, but it's, it's nice to be sort of held to account for it. Then we give a prize at the end of the semester for whoever wrote the most days during a semester. So they keep a daily writing log. And, it, you know, it's essentially I wrote for, you know, whatever it is, 45 minutes. And I worked on this and I did well or I didn't do well. And this is where I wrote. So you can kind of look back and see, hey, what are my good habits for writing? The other thing is we, um, we set goals together. So on a semester basis, and then try to have them broken down into months and then weeks. So you have tangible things that, that you're working on from, from week to week. So that's sort of how I organize the workflow, I guess, with grad students and managing expectations. What do they write? There's 30 minutes. Yeah, well, so sometimes it's a paper, right? Of course, with first-year students, it's, it's a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. So um, it might be a fellowship application, for instance. So that's an easier one to jump into, especially if it's, you know, here's a personal statement. You already know stuff about that to write. Yeah, and, and if all else fails, it, it could just be, hey, you know, write a letter to your mom. Just, yeah. just to get get it flowing. Like, I like that idea of, of forming that habit of, of writing. So one thing I do is is before each weekly lab meeting, everybody sends me an email with a little report in it. Of, and it has three parts. It's not something that I invented. I stole it from someone else. But the first part is accomplishments. So bullet points, what you've done in the past week. The second part is issues. So anything that you need to resolve that you might need help with. And then the last part is objectives. So what do you want to accomplish the next week? It kind of helps people stay on track and, and be somewhat accountable for 
their plans and, and what they do. It's not actual writing. It's just a bullet yeah, sure. points. Yeah. So now I want to move a little bit away from what you look for in expecting graduate students. And I want to talk about what makes a good faculty advisor. And then also with that, what prospective students should be looking for when they are interviewing with and looking for graduate faculty advisors. Well, what makes a good faculty advisor? I don't claim that I'm a good faculty advisor. <laughs> I think you have to care about the students and about their success because you're in it together and uh, you have to accomplish this thing together. I think that's very important to look for, for that kind of attitude. I try not to have more students than I can actually properly advise. I think that's important. But you see some labs with 10, 15 students that do well, you see that also. So it really depends on the advisor, what kind of style they have. Yeah. So. I think it, it depends on who the student is. So uh, as a student myself, and, and you know, it just continues on, I, I'm a pretty social person. So for me, the personal connection with, with the, between the student advisor is, is important for me. But, you know, some, some people it isn't. You know, the advisor being available for advice is, is important, I think. And maybe that availability comes through some sort of organizational structure where there's a, a postdoc or a senior student. So someone needs to be around to, to help out, especially new students. And then, I, yeah, I mean, I have to to second Dr. Vanderboger talking about just a, a investment in a student's personal success is important. I think you should not just look at the advisor, but look at the lab and the environment and the other students and maybe look at people who have come out of that program and have they been successful, that sort of thing. You don't want to go in with, without that sort of information. Yeah. It's, of course, more difficult for professors who haven't had any PhD students that have graduated. Well, but you can, you can always get, uh, you know, if they're, if they're part of an organization that's consistently producing grad students that go to industry or go to academia or some sort of mix. That's what you're looking for. What advice can you give on maintaining a good graduate student and advisor relationship? Or just if you want to give your own opinions on what the ideal advisor student relationship would be. So I think the most important thing is, is communication, sharing your issues with your advisor. Don't pretend things are going well when they're not going well. I've seen that happen in, in other labs where I've kind of seen that happen, that students develop that attitude, and that's not healthy because ultimately uh, that, that goes wrong. If things are not going well, you have to communicate that right away. And both directions, the advisor should also give that sort of feedback. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with all that. It's <laughs> good. Yeah, everybody needs to be honest with each other. You know, this is where you stand, and with different people, there's different ways of delivering that that message. I think the worst thing, especially for a new student, is to have no idea if they're doing okay or not. So being able to deliver that feedback, and again, you know, it works both ways. You know, maybe the Maybe the advisor doesn't have a, a great handle on what the student's doing on a day-to-day -day basis because the student isn't saying anything. So that needs to happen. Maybe the advisor doesn't know what the student needs. So the student needs to communicate that too. So this is something that I actually asked some of the other graduate students, but about that almost transition from seeing your advisor as just an advisor in terms of when they become more of a colleague. I guess I kind of am curious about your input on that from a faculty side. When do you kind of see that relationship change from student to colleague or do you not see that? Or I always see that, that change. Yes. Maybe after one or two years. Okay. And uh, I really enjoy it when the students do something that I couldn't have done myself, you know, then you're really on an equal footing. And I really enjoy seeing that happen when they become more equal. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool, too. I will say that having a student get out into a conference early on is, is really great because they sort of see the rest of the world 
and they see other ways of, of doing their project. And if they could, if they could stop seeing the advisor as some omniscient person, <laughs> that's, that's a healthy thing. Cause then, then they could realize, Oh, well, you know, my advisor doesn't know some of this stuff that I just learned here by, by going to a conference. And, you know, now I can bring that to the table in addition to what, what the advisor already knows. That's, that's definitely good advice to try to go to conferences early on and, and know what the rest of the world is doing and, and, and you'll also feel more confident that you can achieve things and you're not dependent on your advisor so much. How much influence do graduate students have over their projects? And is this dependent on where their funding comes from? And is it also dependent on how far along they're getting in their program? Yeah, so if I, I've already mentioned that I start the students out of the project that I've defined. I do that by talking with them too. It has to be something that they're capable of, that they're interested in. But at that point, they, they really need some guidance with that. So then eventually they will develop their own interests and, and their own project. And it's kind of amazing that it always kind of seems to fit in my goals and my funding, where that comes from. So usually that, that's not an issue at all. And uh, within you know a funded project, there is usually a lot of freedom for PhD project to do something a little bit different from what I thought that it was going to be. Sometimes it has happened that there is funding for a project that's really not suitable for a PhD dissertation. And then uh, the arrangement would be, okay, you work 20 hours a week on that funded project and the other 20 hours you develop your own research yeah. that, that can happen too. I don't know if I have a whole lot more to add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So if a graduate student starts on a project in your lab and then sometime later decides that this project is really not a good fit for them anymore, it's just not something that they're passionate about, have you ever encountered that or how would a student, do you think, go about addressing that in the best way? I would want the student to tell me, <laughs> for, for sure. I mean, it depends. You know, if someone wants to do, a, you know, if I do biomechanics research and someone wants to do solar energy research or something like that, then, you know, we should probably part ways. But if it's kind of a, a parallel project, and that's all fine and good, I think. It might even be better. It makes the student happier. Um, they're going to be more productive that way. And maybe it's a, a new line of thought that is, uh, is going to enrich the lab. Yeah, I think you really have to encourage them to be open-minded about, my advisor told me to work on this, but I don't think that's really suitable for my skills and my interests. You know, please come with ideas for something else you might do that's related enough that it would still be uh, interesting for the advisor and you can still work in that environment. So you're, you're not stuck. Uh, please come with suggestions. That's what I would say. Um, and this is something that I think we've kind of touched on a bit with the last few questions, but what is your approach with being involved in your students' research in terms of being hands-on or hands-off? Dr. Vandenberger, it sounds like in the beginning more hands-on with the first student giving them a project that you've already gotten started and then I like to be as hands-off as, as I can be. Let them fail sometimes, and, and but then they have to take the initiative to come to me and say, hey, I need more help. That seems to happen too late, usually, that, you know, at some point I say, it's not going well. Maybe we should sit together and look at it together. I feel like they should they should talk to you earlier sometimes. But I like to be as hands-off as I can, but then there's the risk that they don't talk to you. <laughs> Well, suppose I only know my own personal experience here and, and what hands-on means. I don't have any interest in sort of being involved in nuts and bolts of what a student's doing, you know, so, you know, lines of computer code or something like that. But I love just the back and forth of bouncing ideas off. And if that's hands-on, yeah, I love being hands-on. Because we got into this because we... We like exploring new frontiers in, in science and technology. And if I'm only a manager of people, that's no fun for me. 
So seeing the students kind of work through stuff and being able to give input to that at the same time is super fun. Yeah, that's that's the ideal situation that they the student can handle the technical stuff. Yeah, and then the communication is about ideas and, and concepts and the exciting stuff. But sometimes you do need to step in and say, "Let me see your computer code." And, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Ideally you. not, but sometimes <laughs> you want to. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask if there are any memorable experiences from your own relationship just either as a graduate student or with your graduate advisor that you try and carry out with your students and in your lab? Yes, with my graduate advisor, I was in a, in a lucky situation that we shared a large office. So we were always having discussions and we were always writing on the blackboard and disagreeing about stuff and the back and forth that Eric was mentioning was constantly going on. And I really enjoyed that. I wouldn't want that share my office with my own students right now, but <laughs> that's definitely something that I that I think a student can really benefit from, from that sort of uh, discussion. So I, there's a few things I remember with even members of my committee. And for me, it was the, the random outside conversations. So my advisor played college football. He's the, the biggest roboticist that I, I know. He's a defensive tackle. And I love college football. So we talked about college football all the time. And that, that sort of like broke the ice between here's this really you know, smart person that you know, I'm trying to, to measure up to or something like that. It just made him a, a real person. Or, you know, with other people. With, so I had two kids in graduate school. So there was one guy on my committee that had two kids in graduate school. And we were able to share stories about that. He could give me some advice on on that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I try to learn about what the students are up to and the kind of things they like. In their personal life. In their personal lives, yeah, and and see if I can make a a connection that way. And I hope that's helpful in making me more approachable and, you know, less of an authority figure, I guess, so they can get to that collegial level that we talked about earlier. Collegial level, I think that's kind of the ideal relationship where you can learn from each other uh, and be more equal. Do you have any closing pieces of advice you'd like to offer on being a successful graduate student that maybe we haven't touched on? Something that you're just really dying to say? You should work really hard. <laughs> well, and, and another thing is, is, you know, keep in mind you're, you're doing this for yourself, not for your advisor. Mm-hmm. So develop your own independence because you come out of with a PhD and then you're on your own and you're going to have to do that. And so, you know, go to the conferences and publish and develop your own career because your advisor is not going to take care of you anymore after. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think with that, we will wrap this up. So thank you both very much. Thanks for listening to student voices, a series by biomechanics on our minds by students and for students. If you have an idea for an episode of Student Voices, or if you want to host your own episode, please reach out to us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com or tweet at us at biomechanicsoom. We'd love to hear from you. Let's keep these conversations going.